Chapter Two of The Birthplace by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. If the sweetness of the preliminary months had been great, great too, though almost excessive as agitation, was the wonder of fairly being housed with him, of treading day and night in the footsteps he had worn, of touching the objects, or at all events the surfaces, the substances, over which his hands had played, which his arms, his shoulders had rubbed, of breathing the air, or something not too unlike it, in which his voice had sounded. They had had a little at first, their bewilderments, their disconcertedness. The place was both humbler and grander than they had exactly prefigured, more at once of a cottage and of a museum, a little more archaically bare, and yet a little more richly official. But the sense was strong with them that the point of view, for the inevitable ease of the connection, patiently, indulgently awaited them. In addition to which, from the first evening after closing hour, when the last blank pilgrim had gone, the mere spell, the mystic presence, as if they had had it quite to themselves, were all they could have desired. They had received, by Grant Jackson's care, and in addition to a table of instructions and admonitions by the number, and in some particulars by the nature, of which they found themselves slightly depressed, various little guides, handbooks, travellers' tributes, literary memorials, and other catchpenny publications, which, however, were to be for the moment swallowed up in the interesting episode of the induction or initiation appointed for them in advance, at the hands of several persons whose connection with the establishment was, as superior to their own, still more official, and at those in special of one of the ladies who had for so many years borne the brunt. About the instructions from above, about the shilling books and the well-known facts and the full-blown legend, the supervision, the subjection, the submission, the view as of a cage in which he should circulate and a groove in which he should slide, Gedge had preserved a certain play of mind, but all power of reaction appeared suddenly to desert him in the presence of his so visibly competent predecessor and as an effect of her good offices. He had not the resource, enjoyed by his wife, of seeing himself with impatience, attired in black silk of a make characterized by just the right shade of austerity, so that this firm, smooth, expert, and consummately respectable middle-aged person had him somehow, on the whole ground, completely at her mercy. It was evidently something of a rueful moment, when, as a lesson, she being for the day or two still in the field, he accepted Miss Putchin's suggestion of going round with her, and with the successive squads of visitors she was there to deal with. He appreciated her method, he saw there had to be one, he admired her as succinct and definite, for there were the facts, as his wife had said at Blackport, and they were to be disposed of in the time yet he felt like a very little boy as he dangled more than once with Mrs. Gedge at the tail of the human comet. The idea had been that they should, by this attendance, more fully embrace the possible accidents and incidents, as it were, of the relation to the great public in which they were to find themselves, 
and the poor man's excited perception of the great public rapidly became such as to resist any diversion meaner than that of the admirable manner of their guide. It wandered from his gaping companions to that of the priestess in black silk, whom he kept asking himself if either he or Isabel could hope by any possibility ever remotely to resemble, then it bounded restlessly back to the numerous persons who revealed to him, as it had never yet been revealed, the happy power of the simple to hang upon the lips of the wise. The great thing seemed to be, and quite surprisingly, that the business was easy, and the strain, which is a strain they had feared, moderate, so that he might have been puzzled, had he fairly caught himself in the act, by his recognizing as the last effect of the impression an odd absence of the ability to rest in it, an agitation deep within him that vaguely threatened to grow. It isn't, you see, so very complicated, the black silk lady seemed to throw off, with everything else in her neat, crisp, cheerful way, in spite of which he already, the very first time, that is, after several parties had been in and out and up and down, went so far as to wonder if there weren't more in it than she imagined. She was, so to speak, kindness itself, was all encouragement and reassurance, but it was just her slightly coarse redolence of these very things that on repetition before they parted dimmed a little, as he felt, the light of his acknowledging smile. That, again, she took for a symptom of some pleading weakness in him, he could never be as brave as she, so that she wound up with a few pleasant words from the very depth of her experience. "'You'll get into it, never fear, it will come, and then you'll feel as if you had never done anything else.' He was afterwards to know that, on the spot, at this moment, he must have begun to wince a little at such a menace, that he might come to feel as if he had never done anything but what Miss Putchin did, loomed for him, in germ, as a penalty to pay. The support she offered, none the less, continued to strike him. She put the whole thing on so sound a basis when she said, "'You see, they're so nice about it, they take such an interest, and they never do a thing they shouldn't. That was always everything to mother and me.' They, Gedge had already noticed, referred constantly and hugely in the good woman's talk to the millions who shuffled through the house. The pronoun in question was for ever on her lips, the hordes it represented filled her consciousness, the addition of their numbers ministered to her glory. Mrs. Gedge promptly met her. It must be indeed delightful to see the effect on so many, and to feel that one may perhaps do something to make it, well, permanent. But he was kept silent by his becoming more sharply aware that this was a new view, for him, of the reference made, that he had never thought of the quality of the place as derived from them, but from somebody else, and that they, in short, seemed to have got into the way of crowding out him. He found himself even a little resenting this for him, which perhaps had something to do with the slightly invidious cast of his next inquiry. And are they always, as one might say, uh, stupid? Stupid! She stared, looking as if no one could be such a thing in such a connection. No one had ever been anything but neat and cheerful and fluent, except to be attentive and unobjectionable, 
and, so far as was possible, American. What I mean is, he explained, is there any perceptible proportion that take an interest in him? His wife stepped on his toe. She deprecated irony. But his mistake, fortunately, was lost on their friend. That's just why they come, that they take such an interest. I sometimes think they take more than about anything else in the world. With which Miss Putchin looked about at the place. It is pretty, don't you think, the way they've got it now? This, Gedge saw, was a different they. It applied to the powers that were, the people who had appointed him, the governing, visiting body, in respect to which he was afterwards to remark to Mrs. Gedge that a fellow, it was the difficulty, didn't know where to have her. His wife, at a loss, questioned at that moment the necessity of having her anywhere, and he said good-humouredly, "'Of course, it's all right.' He was, in fact, content enough with the last touches their friend had given the picture. There are many who know all about it when they come, and the Americans are often tremendously up. Mother and me really enjoyed—it was her only slip—the interest of the Americans. We've sometimes had ninety a day, and all wanting to see and hear everything. But you'll work them off. You'll see the way. It's all experience." She came back for his comfort to that. She came back also to other things. She did justice to the considerable class who arrived, positive and primed. There are those who know more about it than you do, but that only comes from their interest. Who know more about what? Gedge inquired. Why, about the place. I mean they have their ideas, of what everything is, and where it is, and what it isn't, and where it should be. They do ask questions, she said yet not so much in warning as in the complacency of being seasoned and sound, and they're down on you when they think you go wrong, as if you ever could. You know too much, she sagaciously smiled, or you will. Oh, you mustn't know too much, must you? And Gedge now smiled as well. He knew, he thought, what he meant. Well, you must know as much as anybody else. I claim, at any rate, that I do, Miss Putchin declared, they never really caught me. I'm very sure of that, Mrs. Gedge said, with an elation almost personal. Certainly, he added, I don't want to be caught. She rejoined that, in such a case, he would have them down on him, and he saw that this time she meant the powers above. It quickened his sense of all the elements that were to reckon with, yet he felt at the same time that the powers above were not what he should most fear. I'm glad, he observed, that they ever ask questions, but I happen to notice, you know, that no one did today. Then you missed several, and no loss. There were three or four put to me too silly to remember, but of course they mostly are silly. You mean the questions? She laughed with all her cheer. Yes, sir, I don't mean the answers. Whereupon, for a moment snubbed and silent, he felt like one of the crowd and it made him slightly vicious. I didn't know but you meant the people in general, till I remember that I'm to understand from you that they're wise, only occasionally breaking down. It was not really till then, he thought, that she lost patience, and he had had much more than he meant, no doubt, a cross-questioning air. You'll see for yourself. Of which he was sure enough. He was in fact so ready to take this, that she came round to full accommodation, put it frankly that every now and then they broke out, 
not the silly, oh no, the intensely inquiring. We've had quite lively discussions, don't you know, about well-known points. They want it all their way, and I know the sort that are going to as soon as I see them. That's one of the things you do. You get to know the sorts. And if it's what you're afraid of, they're taking you up. She was further gracious enough to say, you needn't mind a bit. What do they know, after all, when for us it's our life? I've never moved an inch, because, you see, I shouldn't have been here if I didn't know where I was. No more will you be a year hence, you know what I mean, putting it impossibly, if you don't. I expect you do, in spite of your fancies. And she dropped once more to bedrock. There are the facts. Otherwise, where would any of us be? That's all you've got to go upon. A person, however cheeky, can't have them his way, just because he takes it into his head. There can only be one way, and, she gaily added, as she took leave of them, I'm sure it's quite enough. End of chapter 2